Welcome to Purposeful Planning with Aspen Wealth Management. This is Helen Stevens, and this week I'll be taking a deep dive into inflation and interest rates and how they affect your investments. Almost everyone is familiar with interest rates. That said, far fewer know what to make of the Fed's target funds rate. Everyone from economists to politicians to the financial press seems to always be talking about them. Markets rise or fall when the Fed comments on them. They're often treated as synonymous with interest rates in general. They must be important, right? Well, yes, the target funds rate is important, but not in the way you might expect. As the Central Bank for the United States, the Federal Reserve is tasked with setting monetary policy to promote maximum employment, stable prices, and moderate long-term interest rates, thereby supporting conditions for long-term economic growth. In this supporting role, the Fed uses its target funds rate as one of the many levers to achieve its aims. When the Fed increases or decreases the target funds rate by specific points, it's actually establishing a range of rates. Banks and similar institutions then target this range when they lend money overnight to one another. They use these hyper short-term loans to collectively maintain their required cash reserves or raise immediate operational cash. Think of the banking system as an intricate timepiece. Each bank operates independently. Each can choose when or if to lend to or borrow from other banks within the Fed's current target rate range. Each also sets its own public-facing retail rates. When banks stay in sync with one another and the Fed, the economy will hopefully keep good time. But if even a few cogs get jammed, it can stymie the entire operation. In this analogy, the Fed plays the role of a master timekeeper, or at least it tries to. When the Fed increases the target funds rate, it hopes to reduce the flow of excess cash or stimulus in the economy, which in turn can help temper inflation. When the Fed lowers the target funds rate, it hopes to stimulate cash flowing through the economy without letting inflation get out of hand. Along with adjusting the target funds rate, the Fed can also inject or extract cash into or out of the system in an effort to quicken or slow the wheels of commerce, increase or decrease inflation, ward off a recession, tamp down irrational exuberance, or otherwise check economic activities. However, we must emphasize no single entity can just flip a switch to power the economy off and on. The Fed is in a relatively strong position to encourage long-term economic growth through its actions. Its actions will often trickle down to other types of loans and move them in similar direction for the same purpose, but not always and rarely across the board. As in any complex system, any given move interacts with countless others with varied results. This is especially so globally as most countries have central banks and timekeepers of their own. Which brings us to our next point. The Fed rate isn't every rate. To review, the Fed's target funds rate is the rate at which banks lend each other overnight cash. Rising rates are meant to help unwind earlier stimulus programs and manage rising inflation by tinkering with the cash flow in our banking systems. But as an admittedly blunt tool, there is even more tenuous connection between the Fed's rates and the interest rates you personally pay or receive. For example, fixed rate debt such as home and student loans may not be immediately affected by rising rates while free-floating credit card debt is more likely to creep up quickly in tandem with the Fed's rates. It's generally wise to avoid credit card debt to begin with, given their persistently high rates. It's even more critical when rates rise. 
Similarly, you may or may not receive higher rates on interest-bearing instruments, such as bonds, CDs, bank accounts, etc., and that's because it's in the banks and similar entities, not the Fed, who set those rates. Our next topic of discussion is inflation. Inflation is the measure of the rate in which money loses its purchasing power over time. As you might guess, many ways to measure, such as a squishy figure, exist. Various economic sectors, such as energy, food, housing, and healthcare, can complicate the equation by exhibiting wildly different inflation rates at different times. There is an ongoing debate over which figures are the most relevant under what conditions. But what should we make of that information? As usual, it helps to consider current events in historical context to discover informative insights. Unless you're in your 60s, you've probably never experienced steep inflation in your lifetime, at least not in the U.S., where the last time inflation was as high and higher was in the early 1980s. After years of high inflation that began in the late 1960s and peaked at a feverish 14.8% in 1980, Americans were literally marching in the streets over the price of groceries, waving protest signs such as, 50 cents worth of chuck shouldn't cost us a buck. During his 1979 to 1987 tenure, Federal Reserve Chair Paul Volcker is credited with rooting the runaway inflation by ratcheting up the federal target funds rate to a peak of 20% by 1980. Compare that to the recent increase to 0.05% as discussed in our last piece. Aiming to reduce the feverish spending and lending that had become the status quo, Volcker's strategies apparently affected a cure or at least contributed to one. By 1983, inflation had dropped considerably closer to its cooler target rate of 2%, around which it has mostly hovered ever since, until now. So why not just ratchet up the Fed's target rates as Volcker did? Unfortunately, it's not that simple. First, as described in this commentary, Should We Be Scared of Inflation by the St. Louis Trust and Family Office, there are several broad categories, such as supply and demand, rising labor and production costs, and a nation's monetary policies, each of which can contribute to inflation individually or in combination. This means each inflationary period is born of unique circumstances. So even if a treatment seems relatively reliable, you never know for sure how each patient or economy will respond. Second, even if an inflation-busting action does work, it's not unlike treating cancer through aggressive chemotherapy. Left unchecked, the side effects can be worse than the disease. Volcker's actions are case in point. The higher target rates not only tamed inflation, but they also weakened the economy significantly, leading to an early 1980s double-dip recession and high unemployment. Overall, unemployment hovered above 7% for several years, with some sectors, such as the construction and automotive industries, experiencing double-digit figures. Even if the outcome was worth the pain involved, it's not a course one embraces enthusiastically. We choose judicious optimism over paralyzing fear. Even if the odds are heavily stacked in favor of our taming inflation over time, this is not to suggest it will be easy. And even if we win in the end, it's unlikely it will be obvious until we are able to look back at the events in hindsight. As such, as we press forward, you may repeatedly question what these influences mean to you today and your investments. We'll explore next week in part two of our series on inflation, interest rates, and investments where we will discuss investing in the midst of uncertain times. Are you enjoying this briefing? Let us know. Leave us a review on our Alexa skill. Search for title in your Alexa app under settings, flash briefing, and then tap leave a review.